0: Lord, we come to you today asking for the revelation from your spirit. Reveal through your word what it means to be born in the kingdom of God and how to see that kingdom, Lord, in our lives. Use me today as an instrument that will reveal the gospel in a way that's clear, that it brings life to the ears of the listeners. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read from verses 46 to 50. It begins, While he yet talked with the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him, that told him who is my mother and who are my brethren and he stretched forth his hands toward his disciples and said behold my mother my brethren for whosoever shall do the will of my father which is in heaven the same is my brother and my sister and my mother moms we never considered ourselves bad mothers because we take care of our kids and the thing that qualifies us as being good mother or being adequate mothers that we take care of our kids. This story gives a different take on what it means to be mothers. And it has nothing to do whether or not you are a male or female. He stretched forth his hands toward his disciples and then comment on these the same is my brother, my sister, and my mother. The Apostle Paul in Romans, he said, they are no longer male or female in the kingdom of God, slave or servant. So my message today is not about the role of the mother being the wife, but the role of a mother in the church. The womb that carries Christ is the church, And everyone, regardless whether you are male or female, you are a mother to a spiritual child. Now, let me ask you to consider this point. Are you a good spiritual mother? Have we been taking care of our spiritual children? Is the womb that we are supposed to be carrying, dying with us? Nicodemus said, how can I see the kingdom of God He could not understand how a mortal can be in a spiritual place. Jesus gave a very poignant answer and he said, Ye must be born again. And he thought, well, how can this be? We know how to bring a child into the world. Been since the beginning of time. We know how that's done. And we can do it with relative speed now. When I went and visit Nora and she was born, they told me that they they didn't realize how quick it was to get the child out of a mother's womb through using cesarean section. It took like seconds, and the baby's out. We are very good at figuring out how to bring a baby into the world, and we figure out alternative ways. We have drugs, we have all kinds of different instruments that we can use to bring a baby into the world, but Not a lot of people know how to bring A child into the kingdom of God And we think That's not my responsibility That's someone else's responsibility Well my message today is No it is not someone else's Responsibility, it is our responsibility The church is called The body of Jesus Christ Meaning We are the body that holds These spiritual babies And who is responsible to bring these babies to term and into the kingdom of God. In the same passage, Jesus responded to Nicodemus this way He said, No man has ascended to heaven but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. So we can't go to heaven. It, the, the concept of going to heaven is so foreign to the gospel. Jesus came down. And he became the head, and the church became the body. And bringing a soul into the kingdom of God does not mean taking them to heaven, but giving birth to them in the spiritual womb. That's how it's supposed to happen. And these are my thesis. Apart from Christ, no man can enter into the kingdom of God. Only through Christ. Because he came down, it is only through him that one is born into the kingdom of God. Number two, you must be born again with Christ as the seed. So Christ being the head, he needs to also be the seed that form this baby in the womb of the church. Number three, only the spirit is one born spiritually, only through the spirit, by the spirit. You must be born of the spirit and of the seed of Christ to be born in the kingdom of God not through flesh and blood. And lastly, Christ's body, the church, is the womb that carries this spiritual baby. Not the church that you can see, but the church which is the body of Jesus Christ is that womb that carries the baby into the kingdom of God. The process of bringing a child into life is painful. It requires extraordinary kind of person that God has ordained. And that person has a label, and we call that person a mother. Again, I want to emphasize, it has nothing to do with male or female. A mother is someone who brings a child into the world. And in the church, everyone, the Lord has ordained the church to be this womb, and that every spiritual child that enters into the kingdom of God needs to be given birth by those who are called Christians, regardless whether they are male or female. And those are spiritual mothers. The spiritual mothers need to make sacrifice and to suffer pain. That is the process of it. And here, I believe, is one of the greatest, besides from Jesus Christ being the firstborn, this is the Apostle Paul in Galatians 4.19. My children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. The Apostle Paul is a mother here. He said he he goes through this pain, this birthing process, so that Christ be formed in us. The church is the womb, and we are the mother to the spiritual children. My first question again is, are we good mothers? Have we been taking care of the church of God? Or have we been so... Involved with our own lives that the church is neglected But as soon as the child is delivered Jesus says she remembers the pain no more The joy that the baby is brought into the world Completely dissipate all the anguish that the mother goes through Sometimes we are so afraid of the pain that we are unwilling to make the sacrifice but Jesus says, and this is in John 16, 21 He says that the joy will overcome the anguish when the baby is born You never experience it until you see someone is spiritually reborn So let's go back to the story And let's put the, this story into perspective We are in Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 to verse 50 Jesus has always had this strange relationship with his mother Even when he was a child, they came into contact and their dialogue seemed to be at odds with each other. When he was a boy, 11 or 12, he decided that he's gonna stop by Jerusalem on the way back and he's gonna talk to the rabbis. And interestingly, uh, a young boy, younger than Daniel, is answering the questions that the rabbis propose. Think about this, if you read the Talmud, you realize that their conversation their analysis interpretation of the torah it is incredibly difficult to understand and think about this boy jesus answering the questions imagine the wealth of knowledge that he conveyed to these rabbis now you have to be of a certain caliber to be a rabbi in Jerusalem. Can't just be any regular rabbi to be a rabbi in Jerusalem. And here you see Jesus is conversing, he's answering their questions. Philosophy is the art of asking questions. Theology is the art of answering questions. He's not philosophizing, he is giving them the answer to their ontological questions the preeminence of spiritual kinship. Jesus placed the kinship that is spiritual above that which is natural. So therefore, you see, when the parents found him, when Joseph and Mary found Jesus, they asked, why did you do this to us? And his response is, but he was surprised that they did not know that he's here not as their son, but he's here as the son of God. And he is here to do his father's business. And then we read the first miracle at Cana, the same thing happened. His mother thought that she could direct him to do what she wished him to do. And his response to her was, Woman, you still don't, you still don't understand. I'm not here to be your son. I am here to be my father's son. This disconnect between how he views a spiritual family and how she views a natural family. And then here is the third story that we see, this disconnect being completely expounded by Jesus Christ. This is when he really explained the relationship that we should have, not that we we're born into. We never decide which household we get born into, but God decides whether we are his children. So Jesus Christ put the spiritual kinship above the natural kinship. In John 6 38, he said, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will. Meaning, I come here, even I am your son, Mary, I'm not here to do my own will or to submit to your will. I am here," he said, "to do the will of him that sent me." This has always been his pursuit is to do the father's will. But we human, we are locked in this mindset. My son, my daughter, my grandson, my granddaughter, and it's enclosed within this of a natural kinship. And Jesus is breaking this mold and formulate a new spiritual kinship that we should have. If you are a good child, if you are a good son, you do your family's will. You obey your family. But because we don't see ourselves as a son or a daughter in God's family, It's okay for us to not obey the Father. Jesus says his primary goal is to do his Father's will. Even though people around him might say, Why do you cause your parents grief? Why did you leave them? And his response is, I'm here to do my Father's will. There is a family that supersedes the natural family. Uh, when he talked to his mother, instead of calling her mother to tell her that she is a woman to him, not a mother at this sense, because he is doing his Father's will. It's always been for Jesus Christ, the Father's work, take precedence over all else. And we said, well, that's Jesus, that's not me. But remember, in Romans, Jesus Christ is the first fruit of the Spirit, whom we are also If we have been born by God. If you say that I only have responsibility to my family and not to God, then of course you are born of flesh and blood and not of the Spirit. But if you are born of the Spirit, then God and His will and His work has to take precedence over our own, even our own family. And you see that with Jesus. He placed His Father's will above His own family needs. In John 2.4, you see, he says, woman, what I have to do with you? He distanced himself from Mary. He placed his father's will over his own physical need. In John 4.34, we read, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. His disciples went to buy food, but Jesus says, I don't need to eat. I don't need to take care of my body. I need to take care of my father's will. takes precedence over his physical need and also his father's will takes precedence over his own life not my will but thine be done I will take this cup so you see Jesus Christ placed his father's will above everything else over his family over his physical need and over his own life is that how we live our life or it's feed me protect me My family first is the way that we prioritize things. And if I have some free time, I do God's will my own way. Christ, he came to restore the family covenant. He did not come to destroy the family covenant. He came to restore to what it was before. In Adam, God created because we all descended from Adam. How many of us here know a great, great, great grandfather's name? We don't. And if you trace all the way back, you know, Adam, you know Eve, aren't we all family? What happened? Selfishness and fear drove us apart. We were once a family, were we not? Did Noah got on the boat? Everybody died. Right? They're only a family of Noah, so we are Noites, aren't we? Because fear We fight with each other, we divide, and the kinship was weakened and became more fearful and more selfish, and therefore now we have different families, different tribes, different nations, different countries warring, fighting each other. For what? What are we fighting each other for if we are a family? And Jesus Christ came that this natural bond between us as human was broken. He wants to restore that. He wants to restore that by placing us Placing our mind back into the central figure in our life, should be in our life, and that is the Heavenly Father. If He is the Father, it doesn't matter whether you're black or white or green or yellow, it doesn't matter. I don't know if there's any green, maybe, no, maybe blue, Smurfs. They believe that the priority over Christ in their relationship, when they came and asked while he was yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. We think that the family bond, because they have direct relationship to Jesus Christ, they think that they have access to him. They thought that they can request an audience to Jesus and that he has to leave his ministry and have a conversation with them. You see how selfish our thoughts when we think about family. We think that our family should and take precedence over everything else. And Jesus' response in this story is completely opposite of how we think about the family bond. Jesus became the catalyst. He was not here to break this bond. He was here to reveal there is a greater and stronger and an eternal bond of kinship than the natural bond. Because Eventually, your children will grow up, they will find someone who is not in your family, I hope, and get married, and then they're going to be apart. Families get broken that way. Only through the church, different families will come together and now become a family again. And that is only through Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, the church cannot be a family. So Jesus Christ, the man, restores this family in verse 50, For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my mother, my brother, my sister. Jesus restored the relationship or the spiritual relationship of a family through the church. And the church becomes this hub where all families will return and serve the Father, And how do we become a family? By all doing the same thing that Jesus Christ, he did, and that was the will of the Father. This is the tie that brings us all together. Do the will of God. What needs to happen for this family, for the spiritual kinship to be established in the church? First, we need to break the bond. Because the natural bond that we have right now is so tight that unless we break it, We cannot enter into the spiritual kinship. Just like if you hold on to all your children, then your family will cease to exist. Until you let your children go and they get married with a stranger, then the family will expand, will grow. The same thing can be said about spiritual kinship, is that the only way for spiritual kinship to happen is that this natural family bond needs to be broken so that a greater bond can be established. Every muscle fiber needs to be ripped and so it can fuse together and when it fuses together it becomes stronger. The spiritual kinship is the same way. This natural bond needs to be broken to establish this eternal bond. Each of Jesus' disciples has to break away from their traditional bond to fuse with Christ. The irony of this story is that he's sitting there with all of the disciples that were with him. These are all the people who left their families. And here comes the master's own family comes and want to draw him away from all the disciples who left their family to be with him. The second Corinthians five sixteen. henceforth know we no man after the flesh. This is the apostle Paul speaking, yea, Though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, we know him no more. From now on, now that I know Jesus Christ, no one in the flesh is my bond. The only bond that I have is through Jesus Christ. Even when Jesus Christ was yet alive in the flesh, he is no longer that flesh, that person, that pre-resurrected Christ there is no longer a bond to me. That's what the Apostle Paul says. No man in the flesh is my family. Family is everyone in the spiritual bond, not anyone in the flesh. He established that very clear. Wherefore, from now on, we don't know anyone in the flesh. Meaning, I don't know anyone. They're not my family. No one is in the flesh. is my family. That's what he's saying. Paul is more explicit And announcing the natural bond in the flesh, even his knowledge of Christ in the flesh, became nothing because all things are passed away and all things become new. The natural bond is something that we need to break away from for the eternal bond to be formed. The Apostle Paul had families. We Look at the Apostle Paul families now. Bands, generation. I never met the man. I don't know my great-great-grandfather's name, but I know the apostle's name. The eternal bond, the spiritual kinship, spans generation, time, and nationalities. It's incredible. The breaking of a natural bond requires birthing through the ministry of the gospel. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, this breaking of the self-life and reborn into the spiritual life. Families grow through birth, so the same with spiritual family. Every creature is made new through the ministry of reconciliation. In the same passage we read in 518, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. This is what we have to do. As People who are born into the womb of the church, and now we have been born through Christ, those who have came before us, carry us in their spiritual womb. Now we are born, now we have a task, and our task, this is how we bring spiritual babies into life, and it is through the ministry of reconciliation. And what are we reconciliating them to? God. This is the process of rebirth in Christ, is reconciliating the world to Christ. The reason for Christ's pursuit of the Father's business in his lifetime was to teach the ministry of reconciliation. This was his whole pursuit, teaching that through him we can be reconciled to God. His disciples carry out this ministry of reconciliation through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are now following Christ's teaching through the same ministry of reconciliation, which is our father's business. This is what he's doing. This was what the disciples were doing in the first century, second century and throughout the millennia. And now the father's business, this same ministry of reconciliation is the business that we should be doing when we bring souls into the reconciliation with God, they become our kinsmen, they become our spiritual kinsmen. Second, the womb that carries Christ, the spiritual womb. First of all, it is an empty womb. For a womb to carry Christ, it has to be a virgin womb. Think about the Virgin Mary, she was a virgin even though she was betrothed to Joseph, they never had relation, and Jesus Christ was given in her womb was conceived in her womb by the Holy Spirit this talks about an ascetic life a life that is devoid of personal wants look at Jesus Christ think about his life he did not want anything in life he said the foxes have holes the birds have their nets but the Son of Man has no place they wanted to follow him they want to come with him but he has no place he decides to live a life devoid of personal wishes and desires, so that he can give life into the kingdom of God. If there's something already in the womb, there's nothing else can be given to that womb. John fourteen thirty one says that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. This is how Jesus Christ led a life that was devoid of personal desires. It's kind of nice in the middle of ministry family come to you and say, hey, you should be careful. You shouldn't be saying all these things. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, the high priests, they're there to get you. And if you say all these things, I'm sure that's what his families came there to tell him. Because we knew uh, also in the Synoptic Gospel, his brothers told him that don't go to Jerusalem, they're going to catch you. And I'm sure this is what they're telling him. You're saying too many things. You're speaking too loud. You're gathering so many people. They care for him. I'm sure it is nice to have that kind of feeling, that kind of comfort from people coming to you. If it were me, I'd probably receive my family. But Jesus, he didn't. Because he only had one thing, one goal in his mind, and that was to do his Father's will. Now, if you have other things in life you need to do, I say this a lot, and I believe that this is essential, this is the key to getting things accomplished in your life. And that is, do one thing. Multitasking does not work. If you have to choose between two things, don't do them both at the same time. Just drop one. Do the one that you need to do. Jesus Christ, he is here with his disciples. He's teaching his disciples. Here's a family that he's engaging with. And there's another family that's outside knocking, asking to talk with him. And he's drawing a very distinct decision here. This is my family. This is my focus. This is what I'm working on. And he said, and this thing that I am pursuing and working toward, and that is my Father's will, my Father's commandment. Every affections, every pursuit, takes up space and energy in your life. Every ounce of energy that you have, when you divert it to multiple things, then you have less to focus on one thing. Why he yet talked to the people. Jesus Christ was always in the process of doing his father's will while something else happened. And when something else happened while he in his ministry, he always reverted back and tell you that, I need to do my Father's will. I need to do my Father's This is the only thing that is important. Jesus' life was flawless example of what it means to set your affection on things above and not on things on earth. Even though people might say, well, wasn't that his, his friend? Shouldn't he come to his friend at the hour of need? Now his friend's dead. He's late. Why did he come so late? I'm sure he cared a lot because he cried when Lazarus died. But he cared more about the Father's business and the Father's will. He has one task in focus. To be the womb that carried the rebirth of the soul of man, Jesus emptied himself, denied himself, and carried it all for humanity. The true meaning of family. When Mary, his earthly mother desired to speak with him, he revealed the true meaning of family. He stretched forth his hands toward the disciples and said, behold, my mother and my brethren. He redefined what is the true meaning of a family. In Mark three thirty-four, again, I want to use this, this passage to tell you that he did not just spoke to his disciples, but in Mark, he stretched forth his hand toward Everyone who was there, he looked around about them, which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. The family that Jesus Christ redefined are all those who come to him. My personal family is all those who are here. This is my family. I don't live in the past and I don't live in the future. You are my family right now. You're the only family that I have. This is how Jesus thought and think about his life. We don't live in the past and we don't live in the future. We live in the present, the now. The family of God are those who are engaging in God's will. Now, you would think that those who believe on him and those who receive him, the scripture says he gave them power to become sons of God. This is how we become sons of God. It is when we listen to his word and when we believe on him. He gives us the power to become the sons of God. Those that came to hear Him, remember, Jesus Christ's ministry is not just about doing miracles. His main ministry was teaching. And that is why we are still doing this here. If it was doing miracles, the church would not be here today. But it was because Jesus sat down and taught His disciples, and they were there, and therefore, we have His teaching still with us today. Imagine if His disciples were multitasking at the time that Jesus Christ or sleeping when Jesus Christ was teaching. We wouldn't have his teaching today. But they were singly focused on the task at hand and that was to focus on what Jesus Christ was teaching. And they took notes and they wrote them down and now we have Jesus Christ teaching because we had faithful men and women who were there listening to Jesus and wrote down what he taught and faithfully transmitted throughout the generations and now we still have it true families are not through relationship of blood but through the blood of Jesus Christ those who came to hear him those who are involved in his ministry not by relation of blood those who are outside desiring to talk to him those are not his true family through the spirit of god through faith that we count it as joint heirs with Christ when we listen you are my disciples indeed if you do what I say. How do we do what he says if we outside and not inside listening to him? How can his family be his family if they want him to listen to what they have to say rather than be inside and listen to what he has to say? The church is the womb. The church is the spiritual womb. In Mark... In Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The body of Christ cannot exist without mothers who dare to step beyond the fence of their immediate family to pursue Christ. If the church has no mothers who cares beyond their immediate family, then the church cannot exist. See, in the time of Jesus, he was the only one that cared. And because he cared, he left his family. The same thing he asked his disciples to do. He did the same thing. The irony is that his family came and desired him to come to them. But he asked his disciples, if you are unwilling to leave your mother and father and sister and brother and come after me, you're not worthy of me. And here I am at a beck and call of my family. It doesn't make sense. The gospel would fail if he came out there. So eventually, everyone will be alone in death. The children we raise will leave us and find their own families. Family ties fade away with the passage of time. The natural family is not eternal. So Jesus Christ established the church to be an eternal family. First born through the gospel, How we are born. We are born through the gospel. We have one father who is the father of Jesus. We have many mothers who are spiritual carriers for the soul. The Apostle Paul is one prominent mother that we have. And this is what he said. 1 Corinthians 4.15 For though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers, For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. I have begotten you through the gospel. You don't have to be female to beget children through the gospel. We are born through the gospel. Each of us must bear spiritual children through the gospel. We cannot bear them through our persuasion, through our words, through our eloquence, through our violence means. Sometimes in the past, we see that the church used violence to force people to convert to the gospel. It doesn't work that way. Children are born through the gospel. The church is the womb that our spiritual children are born. Secondly, born into the service of God. When children are born, they're born into the service of God. The story of Samuel, you know, his mother, Hannah, she waited her whole life for a son. When Samuel was conceived, she gave him away. We hear that disciples left their families, but here is the story, the reverse. The mother gave the son away. She waited her whole life for a son, and when he was conceived, she gave him away. This is what she said in 1 Samuel 1.28. Therefore, also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Spiritual children are born, even our own flesh and blood. When we give them into the spiritual service, they become eternal sons in the womb of the church. Hannah knew that the only way for her to continue to have a family, because she knows that this might be the only child that she has, and how to ensure his eternal state with her. She gave him away into the service of God. And the result was the nation restored to the worship of God through this child. Under Samuel, the prophet, the judge, the priest of God, in giving away our children, offering our children into the spiritual womb, we magnify the service of God, we magnify the ministry of God. The everlasting life of our children is a result of the everlasting service that they engage in. If we place them in everlasting service, then our children, like Samuel, is born into the service. Their service is everlasting because they are serving an everlasting God. Number three, giving life. Entering into Christ's family by becoming his mother, his brother, and his sister. What this means is that to do the will of God Of the Heavenly Father through the process of giving your life away. Giving birth means to give your life away. Your body change, every mother knows when they give birth, the body change, their diet has to change, they have to make... I don't know if I'm going to be a mother, I don't know how I'm gonna survive without coffee. (laughs) Alcohol, caffeine, nicotine, all those things. Mothers, uh, good mothers, they will make those sacrifices. They will put their body through just horrendous uh, transformation so that the baby life is sustained and flourished inside of them. Incredible sacrifice. The spiritual life of a mother in the church after we had a, a meeting here and uh, at the end I said, pray for me because I have a surgery on Monday. Tom's wife, Millet, asked me, who's taking you to the doctor? This particular dentist that I am going to, he's a dentist, but he's also a doctor, a medical doctor. So he loves to give general anesthetic. Tom and uh, Mila asked, they offer their home and they offer their service to me. And I thought about this a lot. And I realized that I'm willing to do anything for anyone. But the part that is difficult for a lot of us is to receive help, the family of God. Tom ended up driving me there and then his wife took me back. They fed me, they, I slept in, in, their, in their house. And I thought about, I wouldn't have this. This is not available to me if we don't engage in the same spiritual endeavor. And this is only made possible through Christ, that we are a family. Uh, I was convicted, I'm very glad to have this opportunity to be served as well as to be in service for other people. There is a girl in the church, finished the study to get a license. I knew that she has no one to take her to take the writing test at the DMV. And I know that if she waited long enough that the course that she take will expire and that she has to do it again. But there's no one that she could ask to take to the DMV. And she knows I go to work and I don't have time. It took a lot of persuasion for me to ask her when she can go so that I can take her. It is only through the church and through the sacrifice of the people in the church that we are able to help each other beyond the confine of our own families. Entering into Christ's family requires that we give life instead of we only take life. And sometimes beyond the receiving end as well, it is important to be on both ends. He that loses his life for my sake shall find it. It is giving life that brings life into the church. The body of Christ must give life in the process of giving birth. And lastly, eternal kinship, true mothers. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 18, verse 29 and 30. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that had left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come, life everlasting. Even though it seems familiar and comforting that we are in our own immediate family, but there is nothing that can substitute the family of God. The family of God is much richer, it's more sacrificial, it is selfless because you're not doing it, you're not helping or doing things. For your children or for your parents out of obligation, these are complete stranger that you are showing love and affection and care for. It requires a different kind of love to be in the house of God, be in the family of God. And Jesus Christ says this, that there is no greater love. He didn't say for a mom to give up her life for a kid. The family of God is the place where true love, When it is expressed, it is true, it is real, because it is shown between strangers. At times, it's shown between people who have such a different background that otherwise outside the church, they would have been enemies. But inside the church, they are brothers, and they're giving their lives for each other. And this is only expressed or expressible inside the church. True mothers respect God. Sifra and Pua. Of course, we know who these are. They are the nurses that defied Pharaoh to save the children of the Israelites. Uh, Pharaoh says, anyone who is born, if they're female, then save them alive. If they're male, then make sure you kill them, they told their midwives. Sifra and Pua, and the Bible says that they did this because they feared God. Think about this statement. They feared God, But if they defied Pharaoh, their lives are in jeopardy. So their fear of God is not that they fear that God will kill them. Their fear of God is their reverence toward God, what God has said. True mothers respect God, reverent God in the house of God. And we know that true mothers are the ones that take God's word seriously and have utmost respect for God's Word, irrespective to what the authority would say. They overcome fear and selfishness. These are not their babies. They didn't give birth to these babies, but they decide to save these babies irrespective of what would happen to them if Pharaoh found out that they did not kill these babies. But they could not because they respect and fear God. Their courage in risking their lives saved the life of a boy. And that boy we know Restore the nation of Israel And his name was Moses The scriptures say that they fear God This is a quality All quality Those who are carrying the wounds Of the spiritual babies We need to have the fear of God In our lives The respect and the reverence Toward God, to God According to his scripture The greatest love is shown When you risk your own life For the sake of another This is How love is defined. God showed this love toward us when we were yet enemies. He sent his son to die for us. This same love is in Sifra and in Pua as they save these babies. True mother loves souls. Another mother I want you to, in this story, to think about is a woman named Bithia. You also know her as Pharaoh's daughter. When she found the boy, She had compassion on him. She looked at the boy and had compassion on him. Now she is someone who doesn't have to take this boy in. This would be a burden for her to take this boy in. She doesn't need to. But Bithya saw the baby as a gift and not as a burden. So she took him in. The scripture says that she took care of him as if he was her own son. It is remarkable. Someone who is of the stature and the wealth and the authority as Pharaoh's daughter took this baby in and cared for a baby, three months old baby. Treat him as her own son. Of course, no, she didn't nurse him. She hired Jochebed to nurse him. True mothers are those who risk their own lives. They don't neglect their responsibility and they fear God. They go out of their way to take care of children who are not yours. In the case of Sifra and Poah and Bithia. There are faults in family, in the family, in the church family. There are faults. We're not perfect. The church family is faultless, but not flawless. We are faultless because of Jesus Christ. There is no fault that can be attributed to us, but we are not flawless. We make mistakes. Moses' family was far from perfect, but that they participated together in the work of God. Without those who are not of Moses' family, Moses wouldn't have been. Without uh, Sifra and Pua or Bithya, Moses would not have been. Uh, Bithya responsible for Moses' upbringing, his education, his becoming a leader was through Pharaoh's household. Romans 14, 7 and 8, For none of us liveth for himself, and no one dieth for himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. We are in the church family. We no longer live for ourselves. We are the Lord's. Whether we live or we die, we don't die for ourselves. If you are outside of the Lord, everyone dies alone. Everyone dies alone. But in Christ, no one dies alone. We die for the Lord because He died for us and we live for each other. Each of us has a role in Christ's family. Though we never be perfect, We can be a brother, a sister, a mother to all who are in Christ. I want to close with this thought. Each one of us is called to be a mother. Your spiritual children might not appear to you yet, but they are here. They are in our midst. And the seed of Jesus Christ should be yours. You should nourish. You should care for it. And the word of the Apostle Paul My little children Of whom I travail in birth again Until Christ be formed in you Lord, we thank you for what you have established here On earth as your family And as we fearfully come before you Looking at this tremendous obligation As someone who needs to bring a soul into the kingdom of God. You have ordained each one of us to be this carrier that brings the seed of Christ into maturity. The formation of Christ in the lives of those who are in the church through us will become the greatest reward that we have ever witnessed and experienced in our lives. So help us, Lord, to identify our roles, to not neglect the work, the business of the Father Because we are so busy Caring for our own agenda Of business, of family That we neglect The greatest responsibility that we have And that is your church The spiritual womb That brings the souls of men Into the kingdom of God So have each one of us Give us the audacity The temerity to stand And to say whatever comes Whatever We face in this life, we know that when the child is born into the kingdom of God, heavens rejoice. We rejoice. The the memory of the agony and the travail and the pain will be no more when a soul is brought into the kingdom of God. Help us, Lord, each one of us, to see our responsibilities and our roles in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.